You know how fast you were going? What? How fast you were going? I don't know. Ten? Eight. Be advised, this is an explicit podcast, so if you're easily offended, get your panties twisted into a knot, turn this off before you get butt hurt and mad, start to cry, have to run to your safe space. All opinions are those of the host and his guest, and do not reflect the opinions of any government agency. Welcome to Motor Cop Chronicles Podcast. I'm your host, as always, the Iceman. We have a special guest, not in studio. We got him on the ice line. Uh, called in. He's from uh, up north. So let's get him on. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. You are in Missouri, correct? That's correct. And. Let me see if I remember this. Your nickname is Gigantor. It is. That <laughs> that is true. So we're gonna go by Gigantor. The reason his name is is he sent me a picture of his cock and it's huge. No, I'm joking. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you got the nickname. Man, I'm just a I'm just a big guy. Um I don't know. We do SWAT training and stuff, and obviously we do we do some some violent things. And I guess I I break stuff, and I earned it by breaking doors and putting holes in walls. Exactly what you so, like. I think you said you're like six four, uh, two forty yeah. somewhere around in there. Yeah, yeah, just broke two sixty, man. Uh, so I'm I'm a big boy, that's for sure. <laughs> I still got your own weight. I'm not <laughs> six four, but I got your own weight. I like to be around 240, but I don't know if that'll ever happen again at 50. Man, I remember back when I was 180 pounds. So do I. It was called graduation. <laughs> yeah, no joke. <laughs> it was when I graduated. So I'm going to ask you just a couple little questions. Uh, yeah. If you listen to old episodes, I don't know or not, or any of the episodes, i ask a few questions. So what is your favorite movie? Oh, man, Fight Club. That is a good one. Do you like that one? Uh, your favorite drink? So, does that be alcohol or? It, whatever is your favorite drink. It could be alcohol, uh, soft drink, uh, could be juice, could be water. So, so <laughs> when I used to drink, it would be Guinness. I love Guinness, but right now I'm doing gin and, gin and Sprite is my go-to. You can get old Snoop Dogg gin and juice. That's right. Uh, Guinness is that uh, dark beer, isn't it? It is, and it's good. The first time I drank it, man, it was I fell in love with it. So yeah, I'm not a beer drinker at all myself. I'm I'm a whiskey bourbon guy. I actually have me some salty watermelon in my cup as we speak. I love my salty watermelon. 
Don't so I got a question for you. Do you make that yourself or do you buy it somewhere? No, Old Smoky makes it. I'll have to give that a try. It sounds good. Uh, I, I take it they sell the Old Smoky brown, uh, brand whiskey in Missouri. Yeah, I've seen it, um, but so I don't go to the liquor store all that often, but I'm at the I'm gonna hunt it down, see if oh, I can't find it. So um, you said liquor store. So I take it y'all y'all have to go to I know in some states they have to go to a, a separate store to buy alcohol. So you can buy it like Walmart and stuff, but they don't have the best selection. But we got some decent liquor stores around there we go to, we can buy it there. Well my two favorite right now my favorite is the salty watermelon. And I can tell you how to mix it. Deliciously. I use a, a, a 30 ounce Yeti style cup. I fill it up with ice, put two shots of the salty watermelon whiskey, one shot of sour mix. Right now I'm using the watermelon cranberry juice, three shots of that. Fill it the rest of the way with Sprite, stir it, and enjoy. Tastes like uh, it's kind of dangerous because it has no kick or nothing. It's like drinking a watermelon Jolly Rancher. Which you have to be no. careful. <laughs> you do have to be careful, man. Then the other one, if you dare to try it, which everybody so far that has tried it, I've even got emails on it, is the peanut the peanut butter whiskey, flavored whiskey. Old oh, Smoky, I heard that's really good. Old Smoky makes it, but they have quite a few brands. Uh, Old Smoky to me has the best uh, peanut butter flavor. But I take, I use that. I put two shots of that and then fill up the rest of the way with, uh, I use like the grape cranberry juice, drinking a peanut butter jelly sandwich. That's a good idea. I like that. It's, it's, it's sweet to me. It's, it's on the sweeter side, but, uh, I tried it with just straight grape juice when it was way too sweet. So that didn't work out. What is your favorite restaurant? Hmm. That's a good question. So cops like the local. It's a local restaurant. I, man, I love Mexican food. And the hotter, the better. So your favorite would be Mexican? Just yeah, I think so. I mean, so... Authentic you know, or Tex-Mex? The, so I've never had Tex-Mex, I don't think. And I don't even know if it's authentic or not, but they call themselves Mexican and I like it. <laughs> <laughs> My wife could eat Mexican Every single day. Oh, it's good. I love it. I like it every now and then. I'm I like my meat too. I like a good steak or something like that. Oh yeah. So there there's a place down by the our mutual friend of, of Asian persuasion lover is uh it's a I don't even know if it's there anymore, but they it's like an Irish pub type setup and they make the best prime rib I think I've ever had. Like, it ruined it for every other place I've ever been to. It's in um, Destin, I think. If I ever get down there again, I'll have to try it. They have a place out where I work. You'd never think it if you saw the place. But uh, Bam can even testify. She's had a steak from there. You can actually, like, eat the steak with a plastic fork and not even a knife. Oh, that's awesome. Friggin'. I'd never seen her eat an entire steak, especially one that size. I'm looking for more. It was, like I said, you see this place, you're like, yeah, they, they wouldn't have that kind of steak, but they did. All right, are you? I don't know if you run a lot of traffic or not, but when you do, are you a 10 mile an hour over guy or a 15? So it depends on my mood. Now, if it's like a school zone, you can be five over and you're gonna be on the shoulder. 
But otherwise, 13 will get you stopped for sure. 15 get you a ticket. All right, so you're a depends on the location type of guy. Yeah. All right, well, just give us a little, uh, this your time, give us a little background on you. How many years you got, kind of what your role is. So copping years, I've been doing it for 12. Before that, I was a paramedic for six. Um, and then right now I'm a, a patrol sergeant and I'm in charge of a SWAT team. Uh, but I've done street crimes, which is, you know, basically just focusing on your dope neighborhoods and gangbangers slash wannabe gangbangers. Like where I'm from, we don't have like true gangs, but what we'll get is uh, transients coming from the big city, coming down here thinking they're going to be the new masters of the hood. So we deal with them. Little wannabes. Uh, yeah. I, so I'll tell you what, Katrina was the worst thing we ever had happen to us. So they, they transplanted all your, your wonderful, wonderful people to our neck of the woods. And we had to deal with them for five or six years and we sent them all to prison. So it was all in new Orleans people. It is, man. It was bad. Well, it was funny is so. when you brought that up, what I thought it was so funny is I actually pulled over, uh, uh, Texas Ranger one time on the interstate for speeding and we started talking and he's like and I was like this is right when we we were having a big influx of uh, illegal immigrants at the time yeah I was like dude I need to do something keep all y'all's illegal immigrants in your own state he said I'll make a deal with you I'm like what's that he says we will keep all our illegal immigrants if y'all come take all these damn New Orleans people back, he's like, yeah, y'all shipped all these damn New Orleans people to Houston and all these places. He says, and the crime crime rate is like skyrocketed, like ten times higher than it was before. He said, y'all sent all the criminals to us. That's like I'll just keep it, the illegals. Never mind. Yeah, you, yeah, you got the better end of the deal on yeah, that one, man. I'll keep the illegals. But yeah, so when you said that, that. I, I I got you, because the crime rate in New Orleans dropped after Katrina for a while, so a lot of people didn't come back. So a lot of people don't realize it, like your HUD housing and your Section Eight. If you're Katrina or one of like Detroit, whenever they had the water issues, you can go anywhere you want to on a, on a voucher, and they love sending them out to the rural areas. Well, the rural areas didn't like it. <laughs> we sell them to prison. So you know, thank our politicians for that. Oh yeah. Yeah, now we got other issues. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, well, we got more than just the the ultimately they shipping the illegal kids everywhere, and they want to take our guns. But we're not going to get into that because I try not to be political, not until at least <laughs> I retire. Because when I go down that rabbit hole, it's a deep rabbit hole. <laughs> no joke. That is a true story. God, it's a deep rabbit hole. So you are your patrol sergeant. How many guys you got working under you? So we're a pretty small department. I got five guys on my shift. So you are Which, like a working sergeant where you actually take calls still? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's funny you say that because there are some sergeants in our department who uh, they're retired but still collecting a paycheck. Retired on duty. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not one of those sergeants. I definitely take calls and, and go out there and do some work. Yeah, when I was a sergeant, my old department, my division, I was, I loved being out there with my guys writing tickets, crashes, funerals. If they, if they, I felt like if they could do it, I was, I can do it too. So, 
They knew. I well, was I always like to get the new guys coming in and think they're they're uh, they're hot stuff, and I go out there and pull numbers, and I'm like, man, you ain't looking too good compared to me, son. You can get to work. I pulled out. <laughs> I pulled out numbers one one year when I was still a sergeant. And I think I think there was like eight of us in motors, and it was. Uh, I think I was like second or third out of all eight on on like file on crash reports and stuff like that. I'm like. And the lieutenant was like right under me, so I think we were like third and fourth. I'm like, y'all need to step up when the lieutenant and the sergeants pulling more fucking file numbers than y'all are. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> but crazy. And I'm gonna tell you something. I don't know if you've noticed it, but I hate to, to tear down millennials, but they just don't have the fire that these other guys had whenever they came on board. So, no, no. That, that's a new generation, and like I said, trigger warning. If I hurt anybody's feelings, well. You, if you listen to me long enough, you might realize I'll hurt your feelings and just fucking deal with it or stop listening. But a lot of the younger generation, these I'm talking 20-something-year-olds, uh, no, they don't have the, the fire. Some of them come in and think, you know, I've been doing, I'm sick, been doing this six months. I ought to be a detective. I ought to have my gold shield or, or I ought to be the, the sergeant already or something like that. It's like, no, 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 no. You got so much more no. to learn than yeah. It's the, the kids today are just like they should. They you should start out at the top and work your way down. I, I don't know. They don't work like that, but I know right where you're coming from with it. Well, they they pinch that badge on their chest, and I think people automatically should just bow down to them. Like that ain't how it works, son. Well, it takes time. When I first started, I was think I was 24, and you know this was in the in the like. Well, I started reserve like in '93, and the times—I mean, it don't sound that far ago, you know, twenty-something years ago—but it's like the times were just different. People actually respected law enforcement back then. Yeah, and no, over they the, did. Now they hate you and look down at you or cut their eyes or want to, you know, cuss at you and stuff. I mean, it's just a whole different generation. And some of these kids coming out thinking they got that badge and that gun, and people are supposed to respect them because of that. And I'm like, no, you. You got to earn that respect from the community and the people out there. And once they get to know you, you know, and if you're acting like a dick or an ass, they're going to not have any respect for you. They won't, and they won't. And they'll, it's, yeah, it's different. Like people don't realize it's, you know, take the badge off and see what you'll do. I'm like, no, man, the badge is what protects you from my bad decisions. Yeah. I'm like, so how about this? How about I'll show you respect, you show me respect, and we'll move forward on this whole you know, a situation we're going through right now. So I had somebody so I, recently just, you, you, they were like, well, you, you're nicest cop I met. It's like, I'm not the nicest cop you met. I said, I just treat everybody the way they treating me. If you yeah. treat you treating me. Okay. I'm going to treat you. Okay. Now, if you come at me sideways, I'm good chance. I'm going to come right back at you sideways harder. Or sometimes I, I won't come back sideways because depending, you know how you get that feeling. Like, I'll get one of these dickheads or something, and I'm like, I won't do it because I know if I'm just nicer to them, it pisses them off even more. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I sure do. The nicer you are. I tell are. my guys that. I tell my guys, I said, listen, read them. The angrier they get, the nicer you get. And at the end of the day, you win because they're pissed off and going to jail, and you got a smile on your face, and you, <laughs> and you feel good about it. Oh, yeah. So. It's like, you know, like, I had a dude recently. I talked about it. I think last uh, podcast. You know, 
dude was just a dickhead on the traffic stop. He said, hey. And I was just nice, speedo, smile. I don't really smile, but I'm like, all right, sir, you have a nice day and drive safe and all that stuff. And he just sped off and he's just being an ass. As, as I turned and walked away and he sped off, I just had this big ass grin on my face because he was, <laughs> I just knew I just ruined this fucker's day and did it worse when I didn't let him get under my skin. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they like the they like to the poke you as much as they can and try to see what reaction they can get from you. But no, you you keep that under control and you find out real quick who's the who's in control and who's not. So well, some of these younger cops, I mean, nothing against them, but I wasn't one of those parents. But you got a lot of parents out there they baby their children so much, and they do get into the real world, especially in law enforcement. And they just you know, first time somebody looks at them and says, looks at them in their face and tells them to go fuck themselves. They don't know what to do. <laughs> They're like, they don't. Oh my god, they, what they am don't. I supposed to do? He just told me to go fuck myself. It's like I had a woman one time looked at me. Actually, this was in my later years, but she said, "Why don't you go fuck yourself?" I said, "Ma'am, if I could do that, I would be in the movies and wouldn't be out here messing with you right now." So, <laughs> <laughs> and it just she didn't know what to say. It pissed her off more, you know. I've had people, you know, talk about my mama, you know, you know, your mama sucks dicks. I said, well, I hope for my daddy's sake she's good at it too. So, <laughs> so you don't know my mama. Uh, I don't really care. I mean, you ain't gonna get under my skin with that shit, especially not now that I'm older. No, exactly. Yeah, I'm gonna go fuck your mom, dude. She's in her seventies, brother. <laughs> Whatever yeah. floats your boat. Yeah, I mean, if you're into them <laughs> older lady, somebody told me said, your mom sucks dicks. I said, my mom's dead and if she's sucking dicks being dead i mean that that will be a miracle right there by itself, you know? <laughs> it's like you know i'm not one of them people like oh you're talking about my mama it's like, so i take no. it you do a lot of fto and or y- y'all share them when they come out so apparently i've got the the knack for fixing the broken few that come through broken few yeah so th- this is how bad it's gotten i'm sure you've seen it nobody wants to be a cop anymore for obvious reasons so when you get someone who makes it through background because they're they've made decent life choices you don't want to give up on them right away so i get i get those who you know we have a three-month fto program you know it seems like every place is different but that's um, that's after academy before academy that's after academy so we they go through the academy. So where I'm at, it's like uh, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's over like 700 some hours. Three months is they actually got, quick. <laughs> yeah. So everywhere's different. I, there's places that give them two weeks, and it blows my mind because I'm wow. like, there's no way. Yeah. It's like you're almost so, asking for a lawsuit or to get that person hurt. Well, exactly. So and I think for us, it's you know, do you know the statutes? learning our system, getting out there. We really focus on ultra safety. And then once you get past that, if you can do a decent entry level of invest, like, you know, take reports, then once we put you on a shift, we'll develop you the rest of the way. But, um, some people get, man, it's blows my mind. Like no perception of danger whatsoever. No understanding of there's more to it than somebody's trust. I, I, I don't know the best way to explain it, but um, do you know what marijuana smells like? Because <laughs> the guy that I was training didn't, 
and I could how, snort from how the fuck half a block he, away, and he had no idea. <laughs> so, how the fuck could he, he even be alive that long and not know what it smells like? Did he live in a bubble? Hey, you ever hear of homeschool? <laughs> oh, he was homeschooled? Yes. Yeah, so oh, well, he did live. He did grow up in a bubble. He did. And I'm a, we've had several of them that were homeschooled, and they were super nice. And I felt super bad for them because they had zero street smarts. And if you want to be a cop, you have to have street smarts because if you don't, you're going to be one, everybody's going to take advantage of you. And two, you ain't going to get nothing done. Oh, and this poor bastard, I, I, we, we ended up getting like uh, five ounces of, of uh, fentanyl, five ounces of meth, like 40 some strips of Suboxone, um, like a pound and a half of marijuana and some pills. That's a good bust. Yeah, it was good. So, like, I get him in, it's our third phase, which basically is he's ready to start doing work. And I'm just there to guide him, make sure he's not following anybody's rights and I can get himself killed. And we go for a disturbance at a hotel. Well, hotels are notorious for, for good criminal activity. So we get there, we're going to go interview this lady. It's on the second floor of this outdoor hotel, which is a really high class. And we get to the second floor and I'm not even, I bet we're six rooms away and I can smell the weed already. And we get there and she's telling him this bullshit story, this ghetto voice. And I'm like, come on, man, ask her about the weed, ask her about the weed. And never does he say a word about it. And finally we run her, she's got warrants. So she's going to go to jail anyway. And, um, I can already tell she's got the, the big city in there. So she kind of knows how to play the game. And, um, Instead of asking her for consent to search the room, I ask her, does she want to take anything with her to jail? Well, she wants her purse, which is in the hotel room. And I'm like, hey, I'll go get it for you. She's like, all right, it's on the bed. Well, my guy is totally clueless. He has no idea that about the smell of weed or anything. And I walk in there, and I've never seen this before on a call, but there were four pill presses on a table, and they were, like, loaded, ready to be filled. No, next to her purse making I'm their like, own pills. yeah they were making they're making their own pills and i was just like damn so i get that come out and we so then i take over my like, hey what's up with this marijuana smell and she obviously says bullshit there's no marijuana and i can ask her consent search and she tells me to piss off and i'm like that's cool because i can smell the weed and i saw the pill presses so i got enough for a warrant so we do the whole task force thing but she's in the car calling us all these bad names and i asked my guy like hey man i'm like you smell the weed? He's like, no. I'm like, what? And I mean, think about it. There's a pound and a half of weed in this room. And he and didn't just, smell it. He didn't know what he's smelling. He did, and that's I mean, what it comes just, down to. Is he doesn't know. Stink. To me, some people like I think it just stinks. That's what I call it, skunk weed. I mean, it fucking stinks. I was it's outside so, walking my dog the other night and got this fucking trailer park they built next door. And some I could see a car running and, you know, it's... 80 yards away and I could smell the weed coming out of that fucking car. <laughs> yeah. From there. How many like, traffic stops? How many traffic stops have you done? Will you smell the weed in your car before you stop the, the car in oh, front of you? Oh yeah. I, so it's like, it, it's not a weak smell. Like it's obvious. So he just didn't know what it was and he didn't have the manhood in him to say, I don't know. And I'm just like, man, that's what you're dealing with with these new guys is they're not willing to admit what they don't know. Did he make it? And, no, he's gone. He didn't make it through. So he, he, uh, we tried, we tried really hard with him and 
he just was too young and dumb and not ready for the world to, to be the police. So the woman that uh taught me my I went to Academy at LSU the university. I used to have the police academy there. It's not there anymore. Uh other departments have started academy, but I went to academy at the Louisiana State University. And they had a woman that ran it. Our first day in Academy, I'll never forget. And like I said, this is almost 30 years ago. And I, I, one of them, them phrases I never forget, she said, look, there's class of, you know, 70 of us about. She's like, first of all, I'm going to tell y'all, you know, look around because half of y'all aren't going to be here by the time we graduate, you know. She says it might be 20 of y'all left or 30 out of this. At least half of y'all going to be gone. She says, I cannot, she says, she says, I cannot make you a cop. She says, I can train you and stuff and teach you about the law and everything. She says, but I cannot make you a cop. She says, cops are born. They're not made. You're either born to do this or you're not. Because yeah. it takes a certain – at first, I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? I've seen a lot of guys – like I said, I've been doing this <laughs> coming up 27 years this December. I'm like – I've seen a lot of guys come in that were super nice guys, like you said, and it's like you you can always look at them and say they're not going to last. I mean, I had a, a FTO with me one time. We had a, a open door in an apartment one time. We on the, the three story apartment complex. We go to it. I'm like, all right, the door's cracked. I said, look, we we'll go in. Well, I told him, I said, look, I'm gonna, we're going to push the door the rest of the way. I mean, you're going to go in first. The reason I t- told him he was going in first because I didn't want him to get – I didn't know this dude. I didn't want him to get nervous and shoot me in the fucking back. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, look, go in. Come to first, the first door. Don't, don't uh, First door you come to, stop. We're going to clear each doorway in room as we go along. Don't ever pass an uh, opener door or nothing like that. We're going to clear anything. Well, I look over this dude, and this dude is – Physically vibrating, shaking. I'm like, dude, what the fuck's wrong? This dude started having a full-on fucking panic attack right there. I'm like, yeah. I looked at him. I'm like, you go back to the car and just sit there, and I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> go. He looked at him and said, just go. I said, just go get in the car. I didn't holler. I didn't, you know, uh, berate him or nothing like that or, you know. Tell him, you know, call him a pussy or nothing. I just told him to go get in the car. Because at that point, this dude, would, I don't, I'm, his legs weren't going to move to let him go in that apartment. <laughs> so I ended up going in and cleared it myself, came back out. I, I think he, he resigned the next day. That was the last time I ever saw the dude. It's, so, I mean, it's just they have – people don't realize they get into it and they see that shit on TV and all that stuff like that and – when you, you know, you're getting ready to go in a strange place, you don't know if somebody's in there with a knife, gun, or what the hell's getting ready to go on. Maybe no, you don't. 90, probably 95% of the time, you know, it's bullshit. Somebody forgot to lock the door, close it all the way, but it's that other 5%. So it's, and I'm going to tell you, people, it, they struggle. So TV's one thing, and they think that, you know, you say freeze. They don't realize. You say freeze, and they put their hands up and drop the gun. Yeah, you got me. Thanks. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, and I, I, I asked the. You know, we always ask them, "Hey, have you ever been in a fight?" And most are like, "Oh yeah, I've been in a fight," and they like pump their chest up and act tough. And I'm like, "Well, how'd it go for you?" Oh, you know, I, I, I beat him up. I'm like, really? Like, was it a real fight, or was it like you know, just like you guys pushing each other because you're fighting? You know, there's some cute girl over there because. 
there's a difference between a high school fighting over a girl and I'm going to kill you. And you're fighting for your life, <laughs> fighting for your life. And there's a huge ass difference. Yeah. You know, you can't, people always ask like, Hey, tell me stories or, or how is it being a police officer? And I tell people, I'm like, listen, there's two different worlds that we live in. I said, there's a world that you live in. And then there's a world that these criminals live in. I said, it is not the same. It, what you do day to day in your life is totally different than what they do. I said, I have to live in your world. And then I, and for 12 hours a day, I have to go live in theirs. I said, it is not the same. I said, and I'm going to tell you right now, I've had people, not very many, and you know how do you get into fights and tell some people to get them under arrest and stuff like that. And it's not really a fight. It's this one I get away. Mm-hmm. But you could probably count on one hand, maybe two real fights. Like, all right, this is for real. This is me and him and whoever wins this fight. If it's him, I'm probably dead. And if I win, he's going to go to the hospital and then his ass is going to jail. Like there's not very many fights you have like that. No, I mean, even in my whole career, I haven't had, but I've had a few. I mean, I've, well, I ended up in the hospital too. I took stitches, you know, I I got cut up pretty good in that fight. (laughs) Yeah. And how do you, and how do you relay that to people who have no idea? You can't, there's no way to tell a story and a way to put them in, in your seat. Like to be on scene while that guy looks you in the eye and says, when I get fucking done with you, motherfucker, I'm going to find your wife. I'm going to rape her while your kids watch and I'm going to kill them and I'm going to kill her. And like you, like in this situation, like you're like, damn, this shit's real. Uh, it's time to take care of some business. Oh yeah. And and either you do or you don't. And if you're not in the mindset that you'll do whatever it takes to win a fight, you don't need to be a cop because if you don't have that mindset, and it does happen to you, you ain't going to last. Yeah, well, I thought, because there's go ahead. Sorry. No, I'll say, cause there, you know, there's guys out there who have the mentality that I want to take the fight to get to the bad guy who end up dead. And we honor those guys, you know, every year. And then if you, I, I, I don't know the best way to put it, but if you don't have the mindset and the willingness to do the things that you have to do to win, then you're not going to make it. And, you can't relay that to people and help them understand that whenever like in training, if you're training, how many times I told this guy, I'm like, listen, man, this is not a game. It's not a joke. This isn't something you go back home and tell mom and dad, like this is legit. And if you're not ready for it, take your belt off. Ain't nobody going to shame you because we get it. There ain't very many people that make it. So I have more respect for somebody that will hang it up. Says, look, this isn't for me. I can't do this. Then somebody that won't do it and he's out there faking it and either gets himself killed, a civilian killed, or another cop killed. Absolutely. So I got way more respect, just like in motors. I mean, we had a guy one time that came out the motors and I mean, he ended up hanging it up. It's like, look, I, I, I just can't do this. I mean, I got all the respect in the world for him because he's big enough man to admit that he's not cut out to do a certain thing. That takes more fortitude. And gut to stand up and say, "Hey, I can't do this," or "I just yeah. makes me nervous." Yeah. Then to just keep doing it and getting somebody hurt. I'm one hundred percent absolutely agree with you. And we razz each other, we give each other shit. But at the end of the day, like if you can't do something, man, more respect to you for man up to it and say, "Because I'm not going to ask you to do something that you can't do." So that's like me. I mean, so I've been doing this, like I said, almost twenty seven years, and. When if it comes to like traffic, I know traffic. I know how to. I'm not a reconstructionist, but I've been to schools and stuff, and 
I know how to write crashes. I know how to investigate crashes. I mean, if it comes to when it comes down to traffic stuff and stuff like that, I know my shit. When it comes down to dope, I don't know my shit. That's not my specialty. And right. if I come across something, I'm not ashamed. I'll call one of the NARC guys or something and say, hey, man, I got this or this. Or, and he'll like, you know, and he'll, if I don't know, I'll call somebody and ask. I'm not ashamed to do it. I had a, a, a road guy that's been doing this shit 12 years. He called me the other day and asked me a traffic question. There ain't no shame in that. I mean, I know my traffic shit. Same is I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't keep up with all the juvenile shit. I don't keep up with the narcotic stuff. I, I mean, that's not what I do. I'm a traffic cop. I, and honestly, if you, so I always tell guys too, like, hey, there's different cops out there. There's C grade cops and there's A grade cops. I said, don't be the guy who gets a C. Be the guy who gets an A. So if you don't know something, ask the questions. Get, like you said, like, hey, I don't know everything about traffic. So I'm going to call my traffic guy and say, hey, tell me what you would do in the situation or is this legal or illegal? You know, like give me the answers I need so that I can do my job the right way instead of, you know, fucking puff my chest out, act like I know what I'm doing and then make a huge mistake. It's, it's not worth it. Yeah. I recently so. had a sergeant. I'm not a sergeant anymore. I mean, this department, I'm just a, a deputy. This guy's a sergeant and he said, Hey man, had me, uh, meet up with him. And I went over there. I'm like, what's up? He wanted me to look at this crash that he had. Because he had some doubts about it. I mean, that's all respect in the world. I mean, this dude, you know, even though I've been doing this longer, he outranks me. But at least, you know, he knew that I knew this part of it better than he did. So, I mean, yeah, so there, there's no shame in asking questions. Don't go out there and try to think, oh, I know everything now. Because ain't nobody knows everything. Hell no. There's no no way you know everything. You And I always tell you guys, too, I'm like, listen, memorize and know the main felonies that we deal with on a regular basis. Memorize and know the main misdemeanors and city ordinances that we deal with on a regular basis. Everything else, we have the internet and we have books that we can open up and look at if we're not sure. So, because there's just too much, there's no way. I mean, even lawyers, they don't, they act like they know everything, but they don't know a damn thing most times. So, change shit. I don't know about up where you're at, but I mean, every year, you know. The politicians and their wisdom will change some law or add some law or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every year is new charge code and new charges. So I'm with you on that. There's not, nothing's ever the same. Not very long anyway. So we used to have a charge many years ago here in Louisiana called drug traffic laundering. Basically, what it was, yeah, this was during the, co- the crack cocaine epidemic. And Basically, what it was, if you got caught in an area that was known for drug trafficking and you didn't live anywhere around there or had any reason to be going through there, like, that we could actually, like, cite you or arrest you for it. Are you serious? Well, it's not a law anymore because, of course, it became, you know, it lasted about a year and then it was ruled unconstitutional. I'll say, yeah, it's constitutional. (laughs) Yeah, oh, it was great. (laughs) We were arresting people like left and right because you could tell who was down there to buy crack and stuff, you know. So, oh man, I remember. Had you, I don't know if you watch Netflix or not. Um, yeah, I got. I, I watch just. I don't even have cable, so that's what I do. Netflix stuff like that. Have you seen the pharmacist? I think it's called the pharmacist. 
No, I saw it advertised, but I hadn't watched it. So his his son goes was a District Nine, I can't remember Nine or something like that down there in New Orleans, and basically it's an African American neighborhood, and he's a white kid. Mm-hmm. That that reminds that would be like the perfect law for him is what are you doing here? You got no no business being here. You know, I, I always hate to say it because people are like, you know, racial profiling, don't do that, which it's true. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. But you know who belongs in the neighborhood who doesn't. So if someone, you don't, if you work in a neighborhood long enough, you know who lives there. You know who visits that area. You you know who your locals are. Um, that's what I was going to ask you. Where, how were you at? Did, did your guys, you know, did they get assigned a zone or a district or something? And did they pro- work that one or they rotate them around or yeah so we have like twenty thousand people that live regularly in our um jurisdiction and then we have a university so we'll get an extra six to eight thousand depending on the load of the students that year on top of that and then what we'll do is we divide the city in half and we'll have one officer assigned to one zone one officer assigned to another and then we'll have what we call rovers basically who can go in between and back up and take calls when the other guy's busy. Um, so we kind of get, they get used to who lives where, um, you know, what's normal behavior for at night compared to daytime, that type of stuff, which is important to know. Um, so yeah, we have a pretty good idea of who's who, where they belong, where they live. Um, so whenever we see anything, you know, it's out of norms. We'll make contact with them and say, Hey, what's going on? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it pretty much comes down to, you know, normal behavior for that neighborhood. So, yeah, it's good. I mean, you got to learn your community and there, especially the people that live there, they get used yeah. to seeing you and stuff like that and stopping. Like I said, everybody's heard me say it before I'm all up in the community police and you see you driving through a neighborhood and you see a bunch of people outside, get out your fucking car and go talk to them. Yeah, I mean, that's like the greatest weapon we got is questions. Ask questions. You see a park with kids, uh, get out and shoot some hoops with them or something like that. You got I'm pretty sure y'all got portable radio. Get out. Get out. I mean, I say keep telling all the time, don't just drive through a neighborhood and stink eye everybody. And honestly... (laughs) You, people that you've arrested before, they're not obviously always committing crimes. There's no reason you can't get out and BS with them. You know, the, so like my past chief had like this theory of uh, 94-4, or I think it was 95-4-1. and one. So 95% of the people you ever deal with are good people, don't commit problems. Everyone's probably have like a traffic violation or something like that, but they're good people. 4% of your drug addicts, uh, they'll commit theft, stealing, you know small crimes to support their habit, but they're not really bad people, but they're addicted to, to drugs. So they commit crimes. And then you have the 1% true predators. They will take advantage of anybody, commit any crime they need to. They're your murderers, rapists, bad, bad people. So, you know, his theory was, Hey, go out and talk to everybody. Percent like you do the 95%, even though they commit crimes, because really if we can help them out, maybe they'll become part of the, 95%. And then when you come up to the one percenters, you deal with them like they're the one percenters. You deal with them like they're career criminals and you make their lives hell. And oh, yeah. that's kind of like what we, you know, that's what we did. And I would go to neighborhoods and I would deal with people I've arrested and BS with them. I'm not their friends, you know, but 
I know who they are. I know who their kids are. You know, I, I get to know what problems they have in their lives because at some point or another, when I do criminal investigation, that's going to be relevant. So it's good to know. And, you know, I mean, you know how it is. Informants are nice to have because sometimes you have a, com- a crime committed where you can't solve it based on the evidence on the scene. So you got to go back and talk to these people and say, hey, what's the word on the street? Yeah. What do you know? So, and somebody and out there knows what happened. Oh, yeah. Because he, they, they brag. They talk. You know, they always say they get one over on you. So someone's always willing to tell a story. So if you listen to them, they'll, they'll tell you what happened. Yeah, just sit there and talk to them. Y'all have a high turnover rate or y'all pretty steady on? Say that again? I see y'all have a high turnover rate. Always looking for people. Or y'all pretty much. So I, I, it's weird. Like we always seem to lose three or four guys a year. Um, so for, I guess for our department, technically that would be kind of a turnover rate, but, um, we're always short three or four bodies, which for, you know, we have 70 employees, but 30 of them are uniform. So three or four bodies kind of, it'll hurt, you know, so we're short like two right now. So the biggest problem we get is, um, these young guys who come to us and we'll work for us for a while and then we'll go to like highway patrol or somewhere that makes more money. Um, but then the guys who've been around for 10, 15 years, they're not going anywhere. So they, you know, then they promote to detective bureau or staff. Um, where I work at now, we used to have that issue. We, they used to, we get the new guys in, they get certified, you know, get a little experience in them and, you know, a year, year and a half, they're gone two years. But now, uh, they changed the pay scale out where I'm at and the sheriff did everybody quite well. And, uh, even for the new hires and uh, turnover rates, like almost completely went just dormant. Nobody's leaving. <laughs> Shoot, man. We can't, we're always short bodies. I don't, I don't know what it is. Cause we pay, we have really good benefits and we pay pretty good for our area, but it just seems like we can't, I, we, when I applied 40 people applied, you know, when these guys are applying now, it's like five. Well, then nobody wants to be a cop no more. Not, they, no. And they wash out. I mean, I've done some backgrounds for uh, pre-employment. And I always tell them, like, don't lie. Do not lie. Because we're going to find out. Like, we, <laughs> believe it or not, we do investigations for a living. And if you're going to lie, out. if you're going to lie on something minor, like you smoked weed one time, you know, but you didn't inhale. But <laughs> yeah, that was just great. But uh, if you, but if you're gonna laugh about something small, I mean, that just says what's gonna happen when they come ask you about something big. Or you, I mean, that that's my big thing is like always tell the truth. That don't matter. It's like even now, I mean, I've taken, I've gotten written up, suspended, all kind of stuff. But I ain't never lied about it. But if somebody comes no. at me saying I did something I didn't do, I'll fight you tooth and nail on it. Yep. If I did it, I'll admit I did it. I'll take I'll take the consequences. Yeah. I mean that that's the only way to be. If you, you just gotta tell the truth. So always tell the truth. And you how many y'all have a like I don't y'all don't have a full time SWAT team. Most places don't unless you're just generally. No, we're part time. How much training do y'all do? Months so no, we do monthly. Um, basically, what we're supposed to be doing is 
two days a month, which is two eight-hour days. Um, and then you'll have a basic SWAT training. And then whatever special unit you do, we'll send you off to that. But because we're so short bodies, we're lucky at one eight-hour day a month right now. Um, and that's pretty much it. So, What, what, what you guys got to do to qualify to get on your own? I mean, because like I said, the department I used to be on, you have to have at least two years full-time experience. Uh, of course, you have to be post-certified. Then you have to pass a physical fitness test. You have to shoot a, a minimum of a 115. I don't know how y'all's qualifying go. Uh, ours is, you know, a perfect score is 120. I think you can pass with an 89, but 120 is the highest you can points as you can get, and you have to shoot a minimum of 115 consistently just to even qualify to try out. Yeah, so for us, we have a PT test, um, which is timed. It's pass-fail. And then our shooting course, we use a Q target, and I think it was like an NRA shooting course the department used, but we're looking to change it. Uh, but it's like a 30-round qual course. Each round is worth a point, and you had to score a 90% or better. So you could drop three rounds, and you would qualify for the team. Anything over that, you would disqualify you. So um, we used to have that old PT test where you, like, run the mile and a half, do push-ups and sit-ups, and sit and reach. Uh, but what I found was that whenever I took the team over, it's really easy to cheat if you find somebody who's willing to cheat with you. And – Personally, I don't want a cheater on my team. Um, so I changed our SWAT test to a test that you can't cheat on. Um, and it's timed. So, like, we got, like, a 400-yard run, tire flip, sled pull, and another run behind it. And either you can do it or you can't. Um, so that's pretty much the to get into the team. Plus, we do, like, you know, like an oil board, asking some questions, and then – the biggest thing is team cohesion. Like if, if you don't mess with it. Do they get y'all vote on it? The whole team votes on if they want this person or not? Yeah. So we used to do that. We don't anymore. What I do as a team leader is on that training day, I'll say, Hey, this is who's um, applying to be on team. Anybody have any issues with this person? And I'll give everybody a vote. And if they don't, if they have issues with them and they, if it's personal, like, hey, they, you know, they owe me five bucks or whatever, I, really, I don't care. But, um, like, legit issues, like, hey, they're a cocksucker. They cause problems on their shift or, um, you know, they're, you know how it is. They're sleeping with somebody's wife or whatever like that. I'm like, okay, we don't need that on our team. So that's a no-go. And I won't even test them. If everybody on the team says, yeah, we're good to go, we work fine with them, or they don't have any issues with them or they don't have any experience with them, I'll let them test. And then they've got basically a six-month probation period once they're on the team while they're training, see how they mesh with everybody. And if everything's good to go, after that six months, they're on the team permanently. If not, um, we'll, we'll tell them thank you, but no thank you, and we'll send them on their way. And I'll be honest with you, of all the things that I do, I do not joke around with the SWAT team. Either you're on or you're off. Like there's no um, in between on that because you know how it is. It's different between running calls and going and kicking a door down with a guy who's got a gun who wants to kill you. So I need to know the guys who I work with are people that are going to have my back and are going to do the the things that I know they need to do, and I don't have to worry about it so I can do my job. So. Oh, you definitely got to trust them guys. 
I was a shield guy in uh at the time and we were still using uh MP5s back then. Cuz you're old. Yeah. <laughs> and uh of course I was a shield guy. And I had had my MP5 guy. I mean, I had to trust this dude enough. He would brace up on me and be firing rounds off, you know. The barrel, I mean, this thing would be right up against my head damn near. You know, shooting over my shoulder yeah. with his MP5. You got to definitely trust the person that you're with when they're firing, you know, live rounds that close to you. Yeah, and it's a it's a life or death by angles. I mean, if your guy's not – if you can't trust your guy to cover his angle, I mean, you can take around the back real quick. So, you know, just like your, your back guy, you know, that's watching everybody's back. I mean, it takes quite a bit. I mean, you have some fortitude not to – if you're training and when we're training and stuff like that and you're doing live fire, because your natural instinct is when you hear them rounds start going off, you want to turn around and look. And that's not your job. Your job is to look behind everybody to make sure nobody pops out behind them and takes the team out. <laughs> yep. No, true story, man. It's, and, I mean, you do any type of research or, or, or training on SWAT missions where officers get killed, it's be, generally it's because somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do. Uh, or that, or team leaders didn't adjust to new new methods of operating because, well, the old ways, the way I've done it for 15 years, so that's why I'm going to keep doing that. The so, advances I mean, and just everything else, you got to keep changing. Everything's always changing. Yeah, yeah, and you have to adjust to it. And there's nothing wrong with evaluating things and looking at them and saying, hey, this is safe, or hey, this isn't safe. But, you know, when I joined SWAT, it was we flooded buildings well now we don't do that it's breach and hold and you know take one room at a time and we only put enough bodies in a room to take a room it's not this flooding stuff it's slow and easy unless it's a hostage situation so you know then we do things a little bit differently but it's not the uh race for the bad guy that it, it was at one time so and i'll be honest with you i've had had the discussions with people who have been on SWAT before, then they get off SWAT and it's been 10 years. And to them, time hasn't changed. And the way they did it was the right way. And you try to explain like, well, listen, it's not the right way. This is the way we do things now. And you need to accept that because if you don't, you don't get my team. You deal with it on your own. Cause I'm not going to put my guys in a position where they're going to get killed. And I got to go explain to their wives and family why I made a poor decision to benefit you like it's not going to happen so I mean, everything's on there I, I used to wear uh, taps on my motor boots and uh, it was a long time ago but anyway we were doing a, a school shooting training uh, during the summer and you know I, we were, they wanted you had to dress how you dressed in, while, while you were on duty and where you know Basically, like you got there and you were on duty, so you wouldn't right. run around in tennis shoes, blue jeans, and all that. You had your, you know. And I used to wear taps on my motor boots. And once we went and did this school shooting thing, I pulled them fuckers off because I wore full taps front and back and everything. Well, it was like trying to walk across fucking ice on them damn linoleum tile floors in them schools that had been waxed. And you could hear me coming two miles away. <laughs> it's just like you just set up their barricade waiting yeah, for you to yeah. come. <laughs> Watch me slide past the room because I was slipping and sliding. So, yeah, that that was the end of my tap days. 
on my boots, even though they, they sound cool and stuff. But, you know, once I got in that situation, saw how, you know, my uniform was functioning on stuff like that, I changed it. So, I'm constantly changing. <clears throat> All right. I'm not cutting you off here. We're doing, uh, come on, 52 minutes. This was a, a serious one. We're going to uh, end this one, and we're going to do a part two. And then uh, this part two, we're going to get uh, Gigantor's funny story, because I'm sure he's got a shitload of them. So, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into the funny stuff. <laughs> we're going to talk to serious stuff. We're going to talk to funny stuff. So y'all come back next Sunday, Gigantor's, we're, we're going to have part two, and we're going to hear his funny shit or the stupid shit that he's got into. So, uh, like I said, as always, you know, you can email me at Motocop Chronicles Podcast at uh, Motocop Chronicles at gmail.com on message me on Facebook. Uh, if you listen on Apple, hit five stars, write me a review. Uh, if you, or if you don't like me, hit one star, write a review. At least let me know why you fucking don't like me. And, uh, if you're a, a cop, law enforcement veteran, uh, first responder of any type, uh, hit me up. Let me know uh, if you want to be a guest on the show or just want to email me a story and I can read it. And always remember to smile because the Iceman could be behind you. I'm cranking up on the throttle. This is how 